Welcome to the MCG Podcast. At Medical Consulting Group, we've been providing business solutions to the medical industry for more than 30 years. In today's episode, MCG consultants Bill Rayburn, Steve Shepard, and Aaron Malloy discuss how practices and ASCs can sort through and interpret the large amount of COVID-19 information and apply it practically to their unique situations. I think the purpose of this uh, podcast is really to give some practicality to all of this information that we're being bombarded with today uh, through associations, through law firms and accounting firms and, 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 and on the web in general and, and try to help uh, our practices and our ASCs all around the country to really make some practical steps and what's needed in order to uh, make the next move. I think one of the things medical businesses need to realize is that um, the governmental approach to the coronavirus crisis has been more or less delegated by the federal government down to state specific level. As we're sitting here, something like 27 states governors have issued stay-at-home type orders uh, exempting essential businesses and allowing folks to get out for groceries, medical appointments, those sorts of things. Uh, Here in our state of Missouri, uh, the governor has taken the position that he's pushed decision-making down for maintenance of the health of of communities to local elected officials. And so currently in Missouri, St. Louis is mostly under a stay-at-home order. Kansas City is under a stay-at-home order, order, and Springfield, southwestern Missouri, is under a stay-at-home order. But m- much of the state is not, simply because there hasn't been a lot, lot of spread to the more rural areas of the state. And, and so everybody's going to have to speak with their advisors and find out what kind of the local situation is in their community or their state if they don't otherwise know. You know, I, I think that's been a little bit of the, the, the problem uh, is all this information has come in such a broad brush. Um, what is, you know, uh, impacted in, uh, or impacting New York is, and maybe, you know, even uh, Washington State is, is very different than what's impacting some of the, of, of the Midwest from the standpoint of, of number of cases and how it's regulated and and um, and so I, I think uh, as we as we talk through this today the one thing again that I can't emphasize enough for your practice or your surgery center is what's happening at your local level and how do we deal with it at the local level you know the other thing I think is just really important is you know when we started January in January 2020 we all had a plan for 2020, or at least most of us had a plan for 2020. Um, we can't push the reset button, even though I think we'd all like to. But I, I think uh, an approach of understanding that we are all in this together, um, what's happening at the practice level and the ASC level impacts a lot of people. And so those relationships that uh, you have as a, as a physician and a practice or a, an ASC and a, a director in an ASC, um, you know, I, I, I would think you would want to continue those, 
those, those relationships, whether they're with your advisors, your CPAs, your lawyers, your consultants, your, your, your nurse directors, your team in general. And so how you deal with this today, uh, hopefully in a calm, controlled manner, um, will pay dividends for you uh, down the road. I think one question that keeps coming up in regards to the practices and the ASCs that we're working with is what is mandated versus what has been recommended by all these agencies and different levels of government. And they're trying to decipher between all that legalese and, and decide what's best for their patients, who they should continue seeing, who they can push out, whether they should continue operations at all versus totally closing down for weeks, days, months. And so trying to counsel them and make recommendations based on their specific location and what has been set forth by their local government is important for them to understand right now and make decisions based off of that. You know, one thing that I see, I'm see, i seeing in, in, on the practice side, and I'll let you guys speak to the ASC side because you're involved with that every day, but on the practice side, um, the question ha remains, you know, should we be open, should we not, who should we see, who should we not, who do we bring in to help us, who should we not? Um, and, and, and I think what, what I'm seeing probably, you know, depending on the size of the practice, is can I divide my staff, can I, doctors included, um, and, and be able to say, okay, let's work this group of people at this time and this group of people at this time. Again, you know, everybody's practice is different, every market is different. That may be a week at a time, that may be days at a time, whatever the case may be that's best for your practice. But that way, if something were to happen, you did have an exposure, at least you're not exposing all of your staff or all of your physicians so that uh, you can continue to provide care for patients that, uh, that, that, uh, that need your care or emergent patients. Yeah, I agree. In the ASC space, it depends on you know, a number of our centers that we're involved with or we're advising. Um, our single specialty, many ophthalmology uh, ambulatory surgery centers, but we also are involved with a number of multi-specialty centers and a couple of our largest clients are in fact uh, multi-specialty. And so the definition may change of what's an urgent patient or an emergent patient versus a patient whose care can be delivered. Uh, a very small surgery center we work with in, in Wyoming has an oral surgeon that does a lot of care of uh, pediatric patients. And I was on the phone with them a couple of days ago. They did a case last Thursday on an emergent basis that um, was a young child uh, who had a pretty serious infection uh, in their gums and and mouth and he actually made the comment that we had to do this case because if we delayed 30 days with this young patient there's a good chance he would have died you know so you make calls like that I think even in the eye centers 
those that are doing posterior segment surgery, oftentimes there's going to be a completely different sense of providing care on a, on a very timely basis for retinal attachments, for you know, diabetic retinopathy where you're having a bleed in the retina tissues. But even cataract patients, if you've done one eye on a cataract patient, maybe they're highly myopic, and so now they're plano in the first eye and they're, they're minus seven in the second eye, that patient is gonna have a tremendous amount of difficulty just with activities of daily living with that kind of differential. They may have an isometropia, um, balance issues, dizziness, nausea, just from the visual disturbance that the differential causes. So at that point, you kind of have to rely on the physicians to make those determinations as what really does need to be done now, which versus what can be deferred for 30 days. As most uh, uh, everyone knows, recently uh, the government had passed a, uh, a uh, opportunity for us all to receive funds to help support our business during you know during this this time you know one of the things that I think is, is really important is to speak with your your attorneys and your lawyers and your consultants on exactly what this means for your business and to uh, begin the process of, of applying for some of these loans now I know um, that we don't really have all the details yet as I understand it well, that's true. I think uh, there are several aspects to the CARES Act that uh, could potentially impact small businesses. Uh, and most of our medical practices and our ambulatory surgical, surgical centers are going to qualify as small businesses because, for the most part, they have fewer than 500 employees. Um, I'll kind of jump out on a limb here a little bit and say that I think for much of the country and many of our clients, the, the, the Payroll Protection Program or Paycheck Protection Program aspect are, are prob is probably going to be the most useful. And we do know quite a bit about it. We don't have all the minute details, but essentially, if, your business, if you've been in business for more than a year, um, it's going to be based on a multiple of your average payroll for your average monthly payroll for the 12 months preceding the day that the funds are, yeah, the loan is made. So for instance, anybody that's going to apply for funding and obtain it, say the first week of April 2020, you're going to go back and look at April of 2019 through March of 2020 and your payroll is going to include things like health insurance premiums, uh, the gross pay, some taxes, um, and some other things that probably are going to be less significant. So the amount of funding for which you're eligible is going to be two, two and a half times your average monthly payroll. Now, you're going to exclude certain things, highly compensated employees, those with you know, annual salaries in excess of $100,000 get excluded from the calculation. But in many of our practices, kind of other than the owners of the business, most of the employees are going to fall below that barrier. So if that number is 
$100,000 as your average monthly payroll, you're eligible to get loan funds up to $250,000. Now they can be used and have to be used principally to support payroll for your staff to, to enable that revenue stream to the individuals working in your business to continue for a period of time. Well, two and a half times a monthly payroll is 10 weeks, basically, of payroll. But you're also able to use that funding for rent uh, or a mortgage payment, utilities, uh, health insurance premiums. And so back of the envelope calculation tells me if you wanted to fully fund your staff and some of the benefits, you're probably looking at somewhere around eight weeks being able to do that. So now you look at your community and, and you make a judgment, am I going to be through this in eight weeks? Uh, will some of these stay-at-home orders be lifted? Will we be past the peak? And, and that's not a national judgment, that's where I am judgment. We're in Greene County, Missouri. In eight weeks, are we going to be by the peak of this crisis? Who knows? My crystal ball isn't that good. My gut feeling tells me, yeah, we're probably going to be in Greene County, Missouri. Now in LA, or New York City, or New Jersey, or Florida, um, maybe not. Uh, and so it's going to pay to keep an eye on what's what's really happening here. And by the way, if you use the money for the yeah. particular uses that are specified in the legislation, that'll be forgiven. I mean, it's not a loan you're going to have to repay at some point in the future because we're you're losing revenue. The business is losing a revenue stream. I mean, the funds aren't going to be available to repay that loan. So in essence, it's a grant. I mean, the government has basically said, we're subsidizing you to shut down for a period of time to get through the, this virus. So, so one of the practical things that our practices, ASCs, could do, just on what you, you, you just talked about, is begin to gather the information on their last 12 months mm -hmm. of, of payroll, right. uh, minus those highly compensated uh, employees that might be excluded uh, from this program. Correct. They're also going to need to know the number of people that were paid each of those payrolls during that period of time because there are incentives in the program to retain your employees. If, if you compare your average number of full-time employees for that period to then the quarter after they make the loan and you've reduced your staff by 75%, then you're going to take a haircut in how much of the loan is forgiven. You know, the incentive is to keep the folks that really can use the money whole throughout this. They certainly should be reaching out to their local bankers today to talk to them, tell them, express their interest in, in, in utilizing these programs as soon as they become available and essentially getting in line with their bank so that once the application becomes available, they you know, are at the forefront and get help as soon as possible. I think the other key element here that many people need to look into and reach out to their local advisors is that some states have started to issue their own loans and grants and different programs. And 
many of them are, you know, there are still questions on whether it will be in addition to what the federal government has approved, whether it will exclude them from certain programs, things like that. So, and all the states are going to be, have different, you know, requirements under their programs. So certainly talking to someone that is getting educated will be helpful to the clients right now. So they should continue to talk to their attorneys and their, their lawyers, their consultants, uh, whether on a on, you know, local or state or national level, uh, begin to prepare some financials. Um, I, I assume that, um, and I should ask you guys this question, but uh, they're probably going to have to provide tax returns. Um, is that your understanding as well? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, in terms of where you're going to have to end up providing, I think, where you're going to have to end up providing most of the documentation is when you apply for forgiveness of the loan. Because I think the process now, since the funds under Paycheck Protection Program are being pushed down to local banks, um, basically you're going to represent, as a business owner, that your business has been negatively impacted by the coronavirus and thus you're eligible for these funds. Now, obviously, the key element here is you're going to have to provide some a calculation of how you arrived at the, at the loan request and it's got to be a function of 250% of your average monthly payroll. How you do this, whether this turns out being going to the bank and fill out a form or a tool is developed to do it online, no one really knows, but I think a lot of the proof is going to be in the back end. On the back end to obtain the forgiveness. Yeah. The other element, and I'm not sure, I, I think it potentially is another very large element of this, is there's an uh, element in the bill with a substantial amount of funding to shore up state unemployment programs, and in fact, the way the bill is written. I think, as I understand it, it provides, can provide additional benefits of up to $600 a week to employees that are furloughed or laid off kind of for some period of time. Uh, now, my guess is if you, the business avails itself of the Paycheck Protection Act, then the employers are going to get paid, employees are going to get paid. They're thus not going to be eligible for unemployment insurance. But in some cases, if they're not getting paid, uh, or if they're getting paid substantially less than their average earnings have been, I, I know in Missouri there's actually now a separate tab on the Department of Unemployment or Employment Security mm -hmm. for COVID-19. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be terminated. Your employed employment doesn't have to be terminated to be eligible for uh, unemployment benefits even on a prorated basis and that's been the source of some of the controversy because if you do the math $600 a week is $15 an hour well the state of Missouri's maximum payments are $320 a week normally that's another $4 an hour so technically a number of employees in some situations may end up making more money on unemployment insurance than they actually make in their regular job and so there's some controversy swirling around 
how to address that. Well, I think they're still trying to figure that out, yeah, and how to avoid that. And I think there's a couple of different elements that you've kind of briefly started to talk about, and one that there's there's kind of some additional unemployment funds that have been pushed down to each state for those workers that have had their their schedules affected, uh, reduced, meaning, or, or furloughed. And then there's a whole separate set of funding that they can make a claim for if they have been directly affected by COVID-19, meaning they themselves have it, um, someone in their household has it, um, or they're having to stay at home and cannot go to work because they have young children in the house that are either home from school or their daycare is closed. So depending on what your situation is as an employee, there may be different avenues for you to go down. And certainly as the employer right now, they have a lot more responsibility to receive all these questions from their employees and and help guide them through this process. You know, many of our practices and our ASCs don't have HR departments and a sophisticated HR system. But, but I think a summary of, of this conversation is that the government is really saying to the owners, the stakeholders of the ASCs and, and of the practices, we want you to retain your employees. We want you to continue to employ them and we're willing to, 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 to make funds available for you to, to, to do that. Mm-hmm. And essentially bring them back. If you have, you know, last week, if you furloughed, if you started reducing schedules the week before that, it's my understanding, again, we're seeing how this all trickles out, but it's my understanding that as long as you bring them back and, and, and they're working kind of full time, then that's what the Paychecks Protection Plan will cover. Yeah, and at the at hundred percent. Sure, and at the end of this process, in order to be eligible for the loan forgiveness, mm-hmm. once again, you, you know, I'm I'm reading websites, but I'm thinking the uh, your, your roster has to be at least seventy five percent of what it was right. prior, prior to, to the slowdown, the shutdown, whatever it mm-hmm. whatever it happened. So yes, the incentive is to enable small businesses to make it through come back faster yeah even. a period of time when basically they're closed by government mandate and then at the end of the process bring their business back to life essentially uh, and yes it's going to be hopefully a relatively rapid recovery uh, nothing has really happened to the kind of the institutions that support the economy, the banking system, for instance. I mean, compared to 2008, uh, the big banks and even the regional banks are in fiscally much stronger positions that that they were. I mean, that collapse of the banking system is kind of what triggered the Great Recession. Well, that hasn't happened at this point, and it really isn't going to happen. Uh, the Federal Reserve has made a ton of funding available to sh- kind of shore up the commercial paper market, um, the national financial structure, and and so really the economy should be positioned to 
recover much more quickly than we did from 2008 through 2011, 12, 13, around in there, hopefully. Yes, Steve and Aaron, we work in, our company works in practices in surgery centers, again, all over the country every day. In many cases, uh, we're managing um, those practices and managing those surgery centers. And uh, I guess a question, um, and I'll make a comment, is, you know, it's been my experience that it's really important for us to communicate with our patients what's going on, okay? I think we've been able to successfully do that through our practices, our surgery centers' websites, social media, for example. I think it's really important that that message is clear and done in a very professional manner to your patients. Again, creating this whole theory and this whole idea of you're a, a, a leader in your organization, you're a leader in your practice, in your community, and you set the tone um, and give confidence to a time that a lot of people are scared. Are scared. Yeah. Um, so I, I think from a practice standpoint, one of the things that we've been able to do with our practices is to actually engage our physicians into communicating, you know, electronically with with patients. You know, any thoughts on from the surgery center standpoint? I know, I know, you you've continued to do yeah. emergency type cases that you've you, you talked about. Yeah. Well, AFCs have been impacted differently depending on the state you're in, and so for instance, right now in Wisconsin, there's a recommendation that surgery centers don't do non-emergent cases, but there isn't a mandate. And so in the, our clients and kind of that neck of the woods have um, kind of adopted a strategy of, well, we're gonna, we're gonna kind of wind this down because we anticipate there is a mandate that's gonna come along as, as, as the number of active cases of COVID-19 increases in the state, even though it's not really prevalent in the, in the smaller communities uh, where these are located. But their approach, Bill, and it's exactly what you said, they started calling their patients and saying, hey, you know, you don't have to have this surgery done now. If you're concerned at all, if you're nervous about being out, being in a healthcare facility, fine, let's just reschedule your surgery. And the surgeons themselves were making those calls, getting hold of the patients, and that really kind of kind of increases the sincerity, I guess, of that approach. About 90% of the patients said, nah, I'm fine. I'd, I'd just as soon have the, the case done at this point. So panic hadn't really reached that part of the world at that juncture. And, um, you know, sure, I think they're going to, as things maybe approach a peak, a lot more of the patients are going to self-select out. I don't necessarily think, even if there isn't a mandate, I think there will come a point in time when the, the centers functionally shut down for a period of time. But it may be a relatively, relatively brief period of time. A couple of weeks would be my guess in some of those places. And then they'll slowly ramp back up. One other practical thing, um, that we might touch on, and I don't know if we have the answers uh, or not, but I, I saw this cross 
uh, my desk over the or my e email over the weekend is this whole idea of CMS speeding up or allowing uh, payments to be accelerated. If if you if you kind of read through it, there's some there, there's some rules with how you do it and how you apply. My concern with advances or accelerated payments relates a lot to how is that going to affect our future revenue stream. If it isn't a grant, I mean basically if Medicare is saying we'll take a look at what we've been paying you on average over the last you know 12 months or 18 months or whatever and we can advance you some fraction of that, well it's like prepaid rent that stage of the game. It seems a it, little knee-jerk to yeah, me. Yeah, you, you, you're going to have to provide those services at some, some point, point in the future and incur the expenses at some point in the mm. future, but you got the revenue now. And if you spent the revenue now as a survival strategy... And the, the little that I have read about it so far too, because it's still, still so new, is that it will be recouped from future payments and so really it's just advancing the money now and then later when you've got all the full expenses back a full payroll buying supplies and full force again then your revenue is going to be cut and it'll just create a little more stress later well I think it goes back to the conversation we, we talked about knee-jerk reactions and and I, I think one of the things that we want to try to advise people on is don't have a knee-jerk reaction. Maybe you need to do it, maybe you don't need to do it. Try uh, not to be so reactionary. Right. Yeah. From what I know at this point, I think there are a number of different programs, that, that being one through CMS. There are two or three options through SBA uh, for organizations of fewer than 500 people. Mm -hmm. The one I think that's going to come online first is the Paycheck protection program. I think we know enough about it to have 95% confidence that we know how it's going to work and I think most businesses are going to be in a position if they really pay attention to what they're spending their money on to have those funds, uh, those loans forgiven. Well, That's unqualifiedly a good thing. That's just funding to get you through a period of time where, by government mandate, your revenue stream has been stopped. You know, the rest of the programs may just be tools well, to yeah. help you navigate the timing. And, of it. Right, and it may be they may be applicable to different different businesses may end up qualifying or utilizing other avenues. Um, and that may be more appropriate for them, but the obvious one to me right now is is paycheck protection. Uh, I, I don't see a downside to that unless you're doing something really foolish with the money when you get it. I think the important thing is to you know communicate with your advisors. You know, um, if we can be of any help, you know, we're happy to try and help. Communicate with your staff, your patients. Don't knee jerk react. Okay, the relationships that you have with people today that are <clears throat> vendors of yours, uh, you want to be vendors in the future. This is a short-term issue, not a long-term issue. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you have a, if you've been running a successful business, 
a profitable business that's providing gainful employment for a bunch of folks and their dependents and health care and those sorts of things, why would you blow it up? I mean, you just want to keep your eye on the ball a little bit, kind of stay, pay attention to what's happening in the healthcare system and also in the economy and keep working to position yourself to when, when this does really wind down, um, your position to flip the switch and start back up again. I mean, that's, that's really the goal here is to make it through to the other side and we will. Now, this may be a longer term problem. I mean, we don't have a vaccine yet. We really don't have an efficacious treatment for the symptoms, the disease, once someone has it. And it's going to be a while before that, those things are available. So it's, it's possible we'll get another rebound in the fall going into the 2020-2021 winter and early spring. But by then, I suspect um, we will know a lot more. The, the data we have that we're using for decision making is going to be a lot better. Right now, it's poor. The quality of the data are poor. Uh, and it's um, just something that we're, we're kind of making decisions and carving out a direction with what we think is the best we can do at the time. But I'm, I really do believe by the middle of the summer uh, we're going to have discovered a lot more about this and we're going to be in a lot better position to effectively deal with it both in our healthcare system and in our economy. I think there's going to be a great opportunity for those practices that continue to operate under a solid business plan uh, with good communication to their patients, to their staff, to their advisors. We will come out the other side of this, and, and, and I think relatively soon. And I think that those practices will once again see uh, patients flowing to their practice. Yeah. It may take a little longer than some have projected, but I do think the important thing is to have a, a positive outlook again to your patients, to your to your staff, um, to those you the, those that you that you work with, and take some of the things that we've discussed today, and quickly begin to. Uh, to, to implement those in uh, your practice or your ASC. Thanks for listening to the MCG podcast. Listen to more medical industry podcasts by visiting medcgroup.com, then clicking the podcast icon. Or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.